synopsis for this movie. A celebrated child psychologist is enjoying time with his wife when a troubled youth from his past comes back to haunt him. Uh-huh. Several months after being shot, the psychologist begins working with another troubled child who reminds him of his former patient. Trying to make up for his past failures and unable to communicate with his wife since the shooting, Malcolm Crow helps young Cole come to terms with his abilities and how to face his fears. Ghosts are seen. The color red has a huge significance, and major plot twists happen. What a twist! What so a mindfuck. Uh, this movie... I did not. I, did you all see the twist coming when you no. first watched it? No. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I didn't get it. It was even this day. I remember how it was in the theater when I watched this. I, I remember I was watching it with. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I if when this exactly came out. If I was married yet or not. But I, you know, me and my wife uh, were watching this in the theater, and like I remember the scene where her hand releases the ring, and you it rolls under. And as soon as I saw the ring, I don't know what it was about that that sparked it, but I was like, he's dead, he's dead, he's been fucking dead the entire time. And, like, just, like, goosebumps, like, on the, you know, like, the hairs on the back of my neck, like, stood up whenever I realized what was going on. Um, and But I, it took me till like, the reveal before I figured it out. I had no clue. Yeah, I mean, I, this was, at 17 years old when I saw this film, this was probably one of the first, I know there's been others, but this is the one mind fuck that, it sticks with you, and you'll never fucking forget it. And the f- interesting thing about this movie is versus the others, and we got to compare them because I really think the others, it, this was in 99. A lot of Me Too movies come out, you know, not hashtag Me Too, but, a lot, but <laughs> even though the Weinsteins made the others, let's forget about that. Anyways, <laughs> a lot of, like, you know, knock-on effect came from you know this movie like where a bunch of other horror movies came out that were ghosts you know related we already talked about the ring and all that got you know their american remakes because i this movie did so well honestly but um there was a lot of movies that started including twist in them and that's where the and the the others you know that's why the, the twist in it is a deliberate you know inspiration from this even if it was in the original show and maybe i'm not you know saw that show or saw one of the the previous things i don't know but like the way this was done this movie is rewatchable. Like you can go back and see that and watch this movie but watch it from the other side and look for the things that show that or try to you know, that it's like, surely they messed up somewhere. Surely he touches something, you know, proves that he's like real or something. And no, they, they filmed it perfectly. When you go back and watch this, whenever Bruce Willis sits down, he, he always is, there's the chair is already pulled out and all he does is sit in it. He never yeah. moves a chair. He only interacts with things that are red, which that's the whole thing in this movie. Anytime there's a spirit nearby, there's the color red. And that's the only time you see the color red in this movie. And, all those little things add up, and it's it's totally rewatchable. Like my favorite thing rewatching this was the scene, well, were two things: the scene where uh, Haley Joe Osment is in the church at the beginning of the movie, and he's looking, and, and he's so frightened when he sees uh, that Malcolm Crow has walked into the church, and you think, well, why is this kid scared? He must be like, you know, the first time you see it, you think, well, he must be abused, you know, and he's just, you know, scared of people like around him. You watch it again, and you realize he's fucking scared to death because this ghost just came into the one place that he's able to escape ghosts Yeah, <laughs> he's able to be free. And later on in the movie, whenever he starts trusting, you know, Malcolm and realizes he's a good ghost, that whole scene where he's laying in the bed and he's like, dead people, they don't see each other. They don't know that they're dead. 
you get goosebumps at that scene when you watch the other, or at least I did, because you know he's telling Bruce Willis point blank, "You're dead, dude," without telling him. Yeah. And then Bruce Willis is just like nodding. He's like, "Okay, you're crazy." There, you know, but he's giving the plot at that point. Yeah, and <laughs> and we and we're just like, where there's a ghost nearby? Like what? I I remember watching the 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 director commentary one. And he was talking about that scene when they're in the hospital that he thought that was going to give the movie away. Oh, yeah. They, they, they were so blatant in that scene, they thought for sure this right here has gave everything away in this movie. Like and in this still one didn't. Scene. There's tons of people that couldn't pick up on it. No, and the thing of it is, too, is because I think there was enough, there was enough, like, really good jump scares going on and just the trauma of this child, and you're so concerned, and you know that Bruce Willis is there to quotation mark help, and you're just like you you just can't. It's like you just can't fathom that that's what's well, going and, on. And the other brilliant thing they did to throw you off the scent was there is a mystery in this movie, but it has nothing to do with the fact that ghost that that Bruce Willis is a ghost. The mystery is what if this kid is actually seeing for the, the big runtime of the movie is if he's actually seeing this. And then the, it turns, and then you're sitting there. Will Bruce Willis's character realize that he's actually seeing ghosts, or is he going to go? You know, so you're focused more on that. It's you know like this old magician's trick where he's like, look over here, but actually that the it's right in front of your face. I've you know the coin's been there the entire time. You know. Yeah. Oh my um, god. And the, and the thing about that, the, what brings me back to this uh, discussing all that is that the others, the twist, once you know it. The movie's okay, but it loses something when you don't when you don't realize that they're you know the when the twist has been revealed. Like you can still enjoy parts of it, but like it's not built the same way that this is. This movie gives you stuff to look for and enjoy on the other side once you know what the twist is. Yeah, you know one thing that I was surprised didn't give the film away. Um, I mean, it wouldn't so much give the film away, but it was still a weird scene. It was where um, I want to say. Uh, Haley Joel Osment or Cole, I think was his name in the film. He was coming home and his mom was waiting for him. And Bruce Willis is sitting in the chair. But the, those two are not talking to each other, the two adults. It, 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 the way it cuts, it pulls that, that, that thing that only movies and dreams can do where they make you fill in the gap and you fill it in, in this case, in the wrong way. Like you see that scene and you think, oh, they've been discussing Cole this entire time. Yeah. And now she's, you know, and then like when you watch it, you realize she's just been sitting there, you know, by herself in the room, like, you know, just totally stressed over her child and he's been sitting across from her staring at her this entire time which is creepy as hell yeah but like you know but she's never talked to him or seen him and he's not he's not even realizing by the way i'm fucking dead um something else that they were afraid of whenever they were making this movie that people never caught on but it's not something you think about is the fact that a child psychologist would not come to the kid's house and see or other places that uh, where the kid's at and see him you know, in those locations, he would ask him to be seen at his office. Yes, and I know, found that to normal. be weird. I'm like, why is this guy going everywhere? Like, this isn't appropriate. Like, you're going to get in trouble. But he was so concerned um, about this kid. That's what I believed, you know? Well, that's the thing. That's what I love about the story. It's like you think that he's so concerned about this child that he had, you know, because the way they work it in, it's months later. So you think, okay, he survived the shot, although we're not told that. And, of course, it's dream logic again. You fill in gaps that are not there. 
And like, so it's like, okay, so he's feeling bad because he failed Vincent and Vincent killed himself. So he sees this child as a way to kind of redeem himself. Yeah. What the actual reason is, is because he's dead and because just like all the other ghosts that come to Haley Joe Osment, he's drawn to this child and he, and this is, and he, and subconsciously he knows he's dead, just like the, the mom or Grace did and the others. But also he knows the only way he can move on in life is to make up for his one greatest mistake, which is the, the fact that he couldn't, you know, take care of Vincent. So he's going to change that with Cole. It's that, you know, if he can change that, then he can move. And, you know, of course, patch things up with his wife. Those are the two things he needs to move on to the afterlife. Yeah. And it's, and it's brilliant because it works like both ways. Like when you see it the first time, you're like, okay, that, you know, it's weird, but you know, he's just, but then you see it the other time you're like, oh shit, that's why he keeps coming to this kid because like, that's the one thing that he needs to move on and he, he doesn't realize it, but that is what he needs. Yeah. Um, um, do we want to discuss memorable scenes and not sure. the, that does not include the ending. <laughs> <laughs> not not the reveal of the ring dropping, which is the most memorable scene in any movie in the last thirty years. I feel like, yeah. But, uh, um, sure, yeah. Uh, well, you good. go ahead and throw some stuff out there. Okay, so for me, the one scene that got me in terms of horror was um, did we even we? I guess we didn't discuss this particular character being in the film. Um, but, oh God, oh, what is her name? Um, hold on one second. I'm pulling up right now. You're talking about the little girl, right? The, the little girl. For the end of the end. Uh, Misha Barton. Movie, yeah. I didn't even know yeah. she played the little girl, but she, cause she was so, she was a scary ghost in the fit terms that she was really fucking bony skinny, super sick. They did great job with the makeup effects and she's throwing up. The entire time. Yes. And 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 it's, I guess, the scene how they set it up where it's like in that little kind of like, I don't know, tent set up or whatnot. It was so fucking creepy. Yeah. So that yeah, one which is, got me good. Which is the one place in the movie. The reason that one stands out uh, is something you might not realize is that if you're watching that movie, that's the one place that he's got that's uh, his other refuge from the ghost yeah. besides the church because he's got all the holy symbols and stuff in there. And then that ghost breaches his defenses too. Like she's the only other one that actually gets inside of the tent, I believe, with him. And I wonder if it's because like it's not – she doesn't have any kind of ill intent, and I don't remember that any of the other ones really did, but she's also an innocent child herself. I think that's what they imply is that her innocence allowed her to, and just like Malcolm's like his own, you know, he, he's got good intentions. He's a good person or a good ghost. At least he's not intending to harm Cole. He doesn't, you know, it's the ones that are, that will actually physically attack Cole. The ones that are angry that can't yeah. cross the barrier. So, um, uh, like any the one female ghost that he sees in the kitchen, you know, that's, that's one that stands out to me because that one that freaked me out a lot whenever, or, uh, whenever I first watched it, like he walks in the kitchen and then like the lady's there and it looks like she slid her own wrist or something. <laughs> and, um, what about Noah? What, what, what stands out about this movie to you? It, the only thing, there's so many good scenes that stand out, but the ones that stand out to me is all the interactions with Bruce Willis and other people where it lets you do the heavy lifting, kind of like oh, we were yeah. talking about earlier. Those things yeah. are the ones that stand out to me because you don't realize you, you're doing all the heavy lifting on what's happening, and it's not until you rewatch it, the, all the epiphanies come rolling in. Like, he wasn't interacting with anybody else. 
the scene in particular that stands out is the one with his wife because yeah. everybody want, that's the one everybody wants to go back and disprove it. It's like, no, God, I remember he, he had the discussion with his wife after, and you go back, nope, whenever they had their anniversary or, well, sad. I mean, it's so sad. That's the thing about this movie, too. It's like there's a sadness to the movie that you don't get when you first watch it. You're all amped up for the horror, and then when you go back and rewatch it, you just realize this is just a sad, sad movie the entire way through because she's there by herself celebrating her anniversary with her husband that's no longer with her, he's still there, but like they have no interaction. It makes it look like he does. But he when he actually goes to swipe at the, you know, to grab the, you know, the the ticket to pay, uh, she grabs it and moves it before he can and like his hand just, you know, uh, hits the table. Like it's not there's no interaction there whatsoever between the two of them. But that's the one that everybody swears and goes back and says, No, I that's bullshit. I know that he interacted with her in that scene and he nope. doesn't. They did it so well. (laughs) Not not Um, that too, but if you pay attention to the scene, like you'll hear laughing in the background and she looks up, but she's looking at the people that are laughing and all the stuff going on. So when she looks up and looks like, like she's looking at him, she's not actually looking at him. She's looking at the people laughing and talking and stuff like that. Exactly. And it, and 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 it's, and it's not unless you really pay attention to why she's looking up. Because every time there's like a laugh or something from right across from her, she looks up and glances that way, and it makes it look like she's looking at him. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's just like you said. It's like it, it makes it, and it's also at a point in the conversation where it seems like she would be responding to him, but it just so happens that the com- you know, that laugh and the people to their table is what triggered her, and not him. Yep. Um, and then, of course, they throw in that brilliant thing where she, and I don't know how this does, doesn't give it away, but it, it's so perfect in retrospect. She's sitting there, and whenever she's with that other guy who is getting, you know, and they're in the top of the, the jewelry place that she works at, and he's handing her the, the gift that he was giving her, and they're, and they're kissing or whatever, I believe she kind of like, you know, like covers herself up a little more in, in, insinuating that she's cold. And that's right when Bruce Willis's character, you know, breaks the glass right outside of the, the jewelry shop and keeps on walking. And you think that he just did it because he found out about him. But then with the reason that she bundles up is because, you know, Cole says this and it's so brilliant it, that when they're, when there's pissed off, that's whenever the temperature drops. And that's, yeah. you know, and that's why she's cold is because, you know, she can sense, you know, uh, his presence at that time and not even realize it. Um, they explain a lot. If you pay attention in this movie, they do explain a lot. And, and the lore is consistent in the movie. Like, yeah. There's not, like, any scenes that, like, you know, because uh, even, like, people want to, I mean, something I just thought about a second ago, and it just this, this came back to me. Like, people want to, like, you know, shit on it in, in certain ways and say, well, okay, well, Bruce Willis doesn't look dead during the movie, and he doesn't even have the, the bullet wound. But they do a brilliant thing at the end of the movie where they show that you can't see it from the front. His exit wound was the part that killed him. And he is, and they never show him from that angle. They never show him from that angle in the movie, except when he turns around and realizes that he's had the blood stain there the entire time. Oh my God. It was just (laughs) a genius film. Yeah, but he would have been bleeding out the front too. So it kind of falls a little flat. Well, I mean, to an extent, but like, I mean, it, it, but he's also like, he's got that covered up. I mean, for the most part with a jacket or something like it's not. Yeah. But like, if you get shot, like some, blood's going to come out the front. Let's be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, to, to, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good enough right away that they, they can get by with it. You know, yeah. in the realm of mo- movie logic to where it's like, you know, like the lady 
toward the end of the film, that's one of the scenes that stands out to me when Cole's finally like accepted that he has this gift and you know, that some ghosts are not, or not all of them are evil. He is having this nice conversation with this lady right before he goes to put the play on. And then you realize that she's a ghost too, because when her face turns, it's been like half burnt off. And then the guy, you know, who's his teacher has that conversation with him. He's like, did you realize there was a lady that got burnt up in this place? And like, Cole's like, yeah. And you know, and cause he's literally been talking to her this entire time. Um, but, you know, it's like another one of those signs that they, they show their, you know, what they look like at their death, like for the most part, you know, and then Bruce Willis kind of gets by with it because they never show him from that angle. So you can't really see the bulk of his death wound. Um, one thing I did not notice, and maybe you guys did, um, was Bruce Willis wearing the same outfit throughout the whole film? Yes. It was a pretty much a variation on the same outfit the entire time. Yeah, because I do recall, obviously, the jacket. But it was like, you can't really tell if he put anything else on, you know, underneath like different, a different suit or, you know. Um, this is in the trivia, but yeah, they, they only vary the slight variations of his outfit period. I mean, it's the same one throughout the movie. And in the scene where he is following, uh, Cole up to the room where the little girl, you know, had her hospice bed or whatever and, and you know, actually died. And, you know, she has, that's a creepy scene too, where she reaches out and grabs oh, yeah. Cole from the, you know, under the bed. But like in that scene, Malcolm is following him up the steps, but they, but whenever he opens the door up, there's only one shadow that, that is cast and that's Cole's shadow. Malcolm yeah. does cast a shadow in that scene. It's so subtle, but it's like, you know, perfect. Yeah. It's little things that obviously make sense, you know? And, um, you know, of course, and, and nobody, you know, like sees Malcolm except for him. But, uh, and I love that little line at the end of it where he tell, where Cole tells him how to communicate with his wife. He's like, well, she can hear you if she's asleep. And, I don't even know why that doesn't give it away, but it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's another little nod, you know, you know, nod to the fact that he's dead. And then like, whenever he's talking to her, she can hear him in her dreams because we're, you know, like they communicate at that point. And, and I just, I like that little bit of lore too. It's like, you know, in, in their sleep, they can communicate with the dead because the barriers are, you know, kind of let down and that sort of thing. I don't like that. I don't like that lore at all. Really? Well, you live that lore, so you should be happy with that. <laughs> I don't like that. That makes it fucking scarier. I like, like to believe that they're just dreams. <laughs> I like to, to believe that I do not live a nightmare, okay? Um, so, I mean, we pretty much discussed the story. Do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, like, uh, you know, I feel like we hit the highlights, but there's tons of stuff you can discuss about this movie. But, I mean, if you all want to add anything else. Anything else you want to add, babe? I'm, I'm just thinking there's... There's, there's so many underlying things in the movie you, that you have to watch for. It's like a lot of these little hidden, it they're hidden things, but they're not hidden at the same time. Yeah, they're, they're almost like Easter eggs. They're meant to be found. They're meant to be found the second time around. For sure. It, this is, this, this is, is a rewatchable movie. We're not just twice, though. It, this is a, we'll watch it a few times because. It, this is a timeless movie more than anything. Oh, yeah. You go back, it is. Like, if it you is. go back and rewatch it now, it's still just as good. I enjoyed it more what rewatching it whenever I for this podcast than I did the first time I watched it. Oh yeah, you have honestly. you have a better context of like what what what's going to happen so you're looking at every single little thing that you that you took for granted the first time around. Have the kiddos seen this yet? I don't know. I don't know that. I mean, I think the girl would like it. I'm not sure the boy would be able to hang in that long. Yeah, he'd probably be like, "Ugh, 
This is boring. Pass out like me. <laughs> Dude, my wife and son cannot stay awake through a movie that they don't like want to watch. <laughs> I swear to God, if if you put something on that you want to watch, they just fall asleep. <laughs> I've been having old man syndrome lately because of getting up so early for work. When I try to watch movies, I, I have to watch them, you know, like in, in segments or whatever, because like my, you know, even if I want to watch a movie and I'm invested in it, like my body's just like, you know, I'm pulling that thing where I'm the old man going to sleep in the armchair because yeah. like, I'm watching a movie. Like I, I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't stay through the whole way. The wife come and grab you. No, it's like one of those things where I'm sitting there and I'm like half asleep and, and, you know, like, and, and, you know, she's already like, you know, not, I mean, she might not be invested in the movie anyways. And I'm just like, well, I'm calling tonight. I'm going to bed. Yeah. It's like one of those things. Oh my God. I think we Um, should move into some trivia. uh, Well, the only thing I was going to say is uh, there's a few things about this. The acting is I mean, by Haley Joe Osmond in particular, that he he's fantastic as a child actor. I don't think we've seen one as good in any of the things we reviewed. Well, we and, always joke about how they are one of the hardest things to work with in films. Yeah, but I mean, he is. I mean, he's amazing in this, especially if you take compare him to the the kids and the others. I mean, no offense to them, but like he's you know night and day above them. Yeah. Uh, Tony Collette does an amazing job as the distraught mother in this, and. I want to give credit to Bruce Willis. Like this is outside of his range. Like if you watch some of his other movies, like, you know, he's, he's just a big action star and a lot of the stuff prior to this. And he conveys a lot of emotion in this. Like I was surprised that, you know, rewatching it. I was like, he's actually, you know, moving outside his, you know, what at this time, what he was really known for. Yeah. What he was known for, but he clearly shows that he has range. I mean, he had a lot of silent scenes in this film. Well, it, a lot of, a lot of his is his interactions with the kid. Yeah. Is, that are huge. And Haley Joe Osmond yeah. obviously carries the film. So. Yeah. And uh, of course the music, I mean, the reason I've listed the, the music, the actual composer for this one is because if you listen to music for this movie, it doesn't have an, it actually is not a horrific soundtrack. It doesn't punch up any of the scares. I mean, they have the sounds that do it, you know, like the quick cutaways and like a, a like a blare of something. But if you listen to the actual music in the background, it is, a, it's almost like a funeral dirge. It's like, I mean, it's the saddest fucking music. It's like it, you, it's basically telling you, it's like this man is dead and he can, you know, he's trapped, you know, when like, I mean, it it it's even better upon a rewatch because every time that it plays the music, it's something. It's really, it, it's really compelling just because it it underscores really what's going on with Malcolm, you know, yeah. as far as a character. Wow. Um. So, um. But we'll get, moving. I just wanted to list that stuff because I mean it, it stood out to me yeah. upon rewatching it. Trivia: This opened only a month after the Blair Witch. Shut That's the crazy. fuck up. <laughs> I mean, and the Blair Witch itself was a, yeah, and the Blair Witch was a success in itself. I don't know that it was as successful as this film. I'm sure we'll get into that during witch season. Yeah, it's but it just I mean, like that goes to show you that if you have a good horror film, and you know it, even like I mean, it's a perennial you know genre. It can you know make money off of lower budgets, and I don't know why. 
why it's always looked down upon by Hollywood. Like, you know, Roger Ebert was always the first to bash it. You know, um, they always, surprisingly, I think this might actually have earned some Academy Awards, but a lot of times horror movies are snubbed like nobody's business. And, you know, just like Hollywood looks down on it, they know it's a moneymaker, but they think it's a shit genre that they don't like to touch. I I think they do a poor job of, like, they do a really bad job of testing the market sometimes. They think, they, 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 it's like they talk in a circle with each other and like, well, I don't like it. Well, I don't like it. That must mean everybody else won't like it. And that's the end of the conversation, which when you actually test it in the market, they test way higher than people realize. It, it tests higher. And it's also just like me and Raina or Urena talked about on the last episode. It's like you, they release it at shit times of the year too. It's like this middle of summer, let's release a horror movie. Nobody wants to watch that in the middle of summer. You put that in, the fall, though? Oh, yeah. Like, Perfect. Like, <laughs> right near the end of October or beginning of November, it probably would have did hella good. Um, um, speaking of that, before we move on from that, though, um, the Blair Witch Project, I did not know this. It was released July 30th, 1999, and The Sixth Sense was released pretty much a week later, August 6th, 1999. Wait, but they probably oh. thought the Blair Witch was going to do crappy. And then, I think so, because they don't normally release. They dumped it. Yeah. And August is technically fall season, so they, they had their bets on this one, but the Blair Witch, I, I I guarantee you, it was dumped. Now, it did have a lead-in that a lot of movies don't. It had viral marketing, one of the first viral marketing instances oh, yeah. I've ever seen. So the Blair Witch had that to help boost it, but it looks like it was dumped, I mean, given whenever they released it. Yeah, it's it. funny you say that now, just thinking about the Blair Witch. The viral marketing was massive for that. Oh, yeah, they had the, the websites that made it seem like it was a real-life haunting and, like, you know, and, and and the nature of the Internet at the time. I mean, it, they had, like, legit websites built up to make it look like it was a real thing, you know. Um, just crazy. And then they had – but, I mean, the, they, they dumped it at the end of July, so I really think that they were just like, well, this movie was barely – you know, it was made for a penny, so let's just throw it out there and see what sticks. And they – <laughs> they made a shit ton of money off of it. Yeah, I guess they only made the Blair uh, Widget. They uh, they said it was made between two hundred and five hundred thousand, and it it grossed uh to almost two hundred fifty million. That is that's craziness and yeah. the amount of money that they, that brought back in. So it did really good for a summer blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people crap on the Blair Witch. I don't know what it is, but I actually liked it. I liked it. I think we talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, for I, some reason, of all the scary movies, that one, for whatever reason, stuck with me. I don't know if it's because I was watching it on Halloween by myself, but, man, it, it, it did a good job. Not many scary movies get to me. That one did. It's like I said, I, I was all hyped up for it because of the viral marketing, and I went in, and the theater was so crowded, there was actually people standing to watch it in the back of the theater. Oh, wow. And and whenever we came out of it, it was one of those things like it it <sighs> – I don't, it was, it was, I mean, a lot of people were like either super high on it or a lot of people were like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I I was one of those that was like, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) And I tried and I tried to get into it and it's like, I don't hate it. I mean, I appreciate what they did with it, but there's, I I like part two better in ways. And I know that's more a traditional film and a lot of people hate that one, but I think part two kind of like took the what and you know formalized it a little bit more and i was able to accept that for some reason like well, i don't know even it's, even part three was pretty good i i that's the remake right uh no suit, uh, it's it's it's, a, it's it's a continuation it picks off the guys looking for his sister 
Okay, yeah. That, I enjoyed that one, actually. I thought that one was pretty good. Um, reportedly, Haley Joe Osment uh, got the role of Cole Sear for one of three reasons. Uh, the first assumption was is that, you know, or the first reason that they report is that he was the best for it. Uh, secondly, it was because he was the only boy at auditions who wore a tie. Wow. And then third, a director, M. Night Shyamalan, was uh, surprised when he asked Osment if he'd read his part. Osment replied, I read it three times last night. Shyamalan was impressed and, and saying, wow, you read the part three times, to which Osment replied, no, I read the script three times. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. So this is a pretty smart kid. <laughs> wow. And, uh, very, very dedicated. Um, during the casting process for the role of Cole, uh, Shamalan, uh, had been apprehensive about Osmet's video audition saying later that he was this really sweet cherub, kind of beautiful blonde boy, which is kind of creepy when you <laughs> read that out of context. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but he saw the role as a darker, more brooding kid. Like, you know, and that, I understand that because if you watch the movie, I mean, you would think that that would be more of like an emo kid or something. It's what you'd be looking for as far as the looks. Yeah. Uh, but he said that he nailed it with a vulnerability and, and, and everything. And so he was able to convey the need as a human being, uh, uh, the need for like, you know, like, I don't know, like his loneliness and his need for companionship and that sort of thing in a way that was amazing for him to see. So that's how he got, he, he literally got the part based upon like his, just his stellar performance. You know, what got um, me too? just thinking about the movie. It was, uh, the relationship that gets built between him and Bruce Willis. He becomes like a father figure to him to a degree. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's, uh, I mean, and he, he gives him, uh, hope and gives him power where he never had it before, basically. Bruce Willis had a ghost job. <laughs> he was dead and he was still doing his job. Yeah, that's why we rated him as three in the original rankings. He was still going and doing his job and he was dead. I mean, that's about as horrific as I could think Aye. of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what they say, when you weird. love what you do for work, it's not technically work. I guess, you know, but I don't know. That, that'd just be awful. It's like, mm -hmm, just going, just for my own self. It's like, let me go fill some more pills for people. Oh, hey. shit, I've been dead for, like, years. This is stupid. <laughs> my job, mine would be amazing. I could just go and throw paperwork around, fuck with everyone's office work, like, mess up their accounting. And now you know why his marriage failed. <laughs> Fucking Betty was a bitch. Fuck Betty. Just fuck up all her shit. Even in his, <laughs> even in his death, he was ignoring his wife. Wow. That's true. That's true to a degree. Uh, that, that's so sad at the end of the movie, though, where he tells her, he's like, you were never second place to me. Like, he was, I mean, I don't, it's just, that hits. I don't know. That, that end of that movie really got me. I, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. It, this time watching it, I don't know if it's because, I mean, I did, you know, lose my father, you know, a little over a year ago, but watching that scene at the end of the movie where he's like talking to his wife and like moving on, like that, that scene got to me this time. It really did. Um, so according to Michael Sarah, um, who was on Arrested Development and, of course, Super Bad and some of those movies, if you know who I'm talking about, he was also in Scott Pilgrim. He played Scott Pilgrim. Uh, this was the first film that he ever auditioned for. Uh, he read for the part of Cole, and the scene he did was the magic trick scene, uh, I guess, where, you know, Cole's trying to talk to the other kid with a coin, and he's like, you know, and then the kid's like, that's stupid. And he's like, no, it's funny. You know, it's like, you know, that whole scene. 
but um, he later admitted that he did it too cheerfully. He had not read the entire script, so he didn't know that Cole was supposed to be an introverted and quiet boy. So that's the reason Michael Sarah didn't get the part was because he was a little too upbeat about the whole thing. Wah, wah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think he would have been right for the part, honestly. No, I, mean, I don't Michael's, think so either. No, I don't think Michael he Sarah. read the script three times the night before. So too, he's, no. too, he's too <laughs> no. goofy, kind of. Yeah, he he's that. But, I mean, even if he plays a character, he plays more awkward than he plays, like, you know, the what this character needed. Like, it's not – this character wasn't necessarily awkward. He was just that, you know, you could tell he was a damaged child. And I don't think Michael Sarah can convey that. I just yeah. don't feel like he can. Um, Tony Collette said that she was so moved by the emotional resonance of the story while filming that she didn't even realize it was a horror film until after its <laughs> release. She thought I mean, it was straight up like drama. Yeah, I mean it. It is kind of a drama. There's horror elements to what? it. What? How did how did she not realize that? <laughs> well, she might not have been involved in any of the scenes, honestly, that had like yeah. you know, any of the the full on ghost stuff. They're not going to have know? her on set the days that the, that she's not involved. Yeah, but. She, like the scene where she comes out into the kitchen, all the things are open. Like that doesn't really seem like a drama. It's a ghost. Well, she knew ghosts were involved. She just didn't know that there was going to be horror elements to it. Yeah, like she didn't know that they were hopping up the spooky or the scary element of it. She just thought that it was going to be like about this troubled kid and his inability to relate to his mom and you know all that stuff. You know. Um. While in New York City auditioning for Bringing Out the Dead, uh, Tony Collette also auditioned for this film as an afterthought. She said the scene in the car toward the end of the film, which was the audition scene, was the scene that really drew her to the film. That's the scene where she's in the car. Oh, yeah. And that's actually her. a really yeah. good scene in the movie, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, talking to Cole, and he tells her, he's like, uh, and it got, and that one got to me, too, in a bit, because he's sitting there, he's like, she's, she had something to tell you, Mom, and, like, you know, says that I'm proud of you or whatever pretty good scene i mean it and i could see where she could take that scene and think this is more of a drama movie or yeah more like a you know with supernatural elements but it's more about the family element to it or something uh marissa tomei was considered for the role of lynn uh the mother oh she would have did good i think she would have been fine um I'm trying to think if she's ever played a character that was disturbed in any way like that or not though i mean I mostly, like, she plays stronger female characters usually. Like, I don't really, I can't really think of a movie that I've seen her in where she's kind of, you know, like playing like somebody who's just like, you know, at her wit's end type thing. Might argue that a little bit with a Spider-Man movie, but not really. I mean, that's more for jokes anyways. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also, Marissa Tomei and Claire Forlani were uh, among the actresses who declined playing the role of Anna or the wife to, you know, Bruce Willis. Wow. So... I bet they regretted um, that. <laughs> that would have probably been a good role for Marissa Tomei to have have been the wife. I think she could have done that part really well because that yeah. character needs to be a strong, but like, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, hurting, you know, like, you know, widowed wife. And I think she could have fit that part. Uh, filmed in sequence which means that they did not you know normally in movies we've only had this happen like two other times the entity and the and the devil and daniel webster the two other films we reviewed for this podcast where this has been the case but when a movie's filmed in sequence that means they literally go from the beginning of the movie and they film the first scene of the screenplay as the first scene of the movie that they're filming and they go in sequential order of the script this is one of the few movies that we've covered that actually d did this most of the time like we talked to rosemary's baby they they had uh and Rosemary's Baby, they actually filmed like the end of the movie 
first because they had to because they only they had their contracts in New York that they had to like you know you, you know the, their budget was used up pretty quick so they had to film there really quick and so like the the main actress in that movie had to actually like know her character so well that she knew uh, how her character would be toward the end of the movie to be able to film it that way whereas this movie it was like you know natural it like you know went as the script progressed it's crazy it's not, to not think that they wouldn't film films that way in in order i just like i am so disorganized i would forget a scene i'd be like okay and that's a wrap everybody go home and then be like fuck <laughs> forgot well, the like whole we middle about, <laughs> it's like we were talking about with the frighteners that that scene where that that's toward the beginning of the movie where roy is dying in that one um and you know like he's being buried that's very first part of the movie they're burning down the house that frank built like up on the hill because they, they already you know used all the scenes that they needed from that that location and they were just removing it and, and i mean that's right at the beginning of the movie yeah like, you know. <laughs> it's crazy it's just it's weird that way um according to m not uh donnie Wahlberg lost his 43 pounds oh like, shit dude that is insane yeah i didn't even know that was donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> It doesn't look like him at all. It's it's crazy. It looks like him. Uh, it just it looks does. like a very sickly version of him. I, I don't know. It, 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 it's almost like the, that extreme weight loss does a huge change in the way someone looks like that. Like the machinist is a prime example of that with um, Christian Bell. I don't know that I've seen that one. I need to watch oh, that movie. Oh, dude. Christian Bale He actor. gets down to like 100 pounds in the movie. Oh, yeah. He gets oh, like... God. Dangerous skinny. Oh yeah. Well, that's like Matthew McConaughey in the the uh, Dallas Buyers yeah, Club, yeah. I believe. I mean, he doesn't even look like the same guy toward the end of the movie. Yeah, I think Christian Bell got skinnier than that. <laughs> that's that's insane. Oh, yeah. he lost sixty three uh, pounds, and it's said to be a record for any. Oh my God, he ate only a can of tuna and an apple per day. That's oh, insane, I heard, dude. I heard this the other day because I watched Scarface for probably the first time all the way through in my life. I watched it, uh, and and um, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, it was literally eating nothing but like I want to say tomato soup and 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 living off of uh, I think she said Marlboro cigarettes like toward the end of that filming of that movie because her character is supposed to be like getting progressively skinner skinnier because all she does is snort coke. Yeah. And like she said that she was so weak that she couldn't even film half her scenes that they they were literally afraid that she was going to go into cardiac arrest oh toward the end God. of the movie. Uh, Christian Bale actually got down, and it's not too much of a drastic change, but he he wanted to go down to 100 pounds. Uh, they, he ended up getting down to 110. They didn't want him to go below 120. They were in fear of his health at that point. Yeah, he got super small. And it's super dangerous, too, because a lot of people don't realize this, but, I mean, drastic weight changes over a short amount of time like they used to do on Biggest Loser, those people have actually got metabolic issues now because they, they lost so much weight all at once that it, their body freaked out, and now they can't keep weight off. I mean, because their body is in super starvation mode all the time. Um, that's scary. <laughs> that's really scary. Yeah. Um. So M. Knight actually wrote the role of Malcolm Crow with Bruce Willis in mind, so that he w actually Bruce was the pick for that that character when he wrote him. Wow! Uh, and this is funny. This is one of the uh, first of two movies that Bruce Willis owed Disney because he fucked up another production called The Broadway Brawler, and he caused it to be shut down due to him firing the director. Uh, he also had to pay 
he was only he was paid ten million half of his usual salary at the time because he owed Disney for where he messed up their other movie. Oh Damn. my god! Fucking Disney! <laughs> Damn! Uh, you know what though? But it it is a good movie in his uh, repertoire that he's done though. He can like it's it's he might it's not a stand out really. Yeah, he might know? not have killed him on getting paid, but goddamn, that it was one of his movies he's known for. It's it's like I said, it's one of those movies acting wise that he can hold out there and say, I, you know, you can say what you want to about me being a big dumb action star. I want to prove you otherwise by throwing this out there. Yeah, I'm curious what his response was to doing the movie prior to uh, actually filming it and everything. <laughs> I wonder because, and I also want, it, it, this makes you appreciate the fact that he did such a good job with this because if there was any movie that he could have been checked out on, a movie that he was forced to do <laughs> by the studio would have been the perfect one to say, fuck it, I'm not going to give a shit if I do this movie the right way or not. You Wouldn't know? that be funny if he actually didn't give a shit in this film and that's just how it came out? <laughs> it came off that way? Yeah, that'd it just be, came out. That'd, that'd actually be pretty cool. Or no, or that the way that it did come out was how like he was I don't give a shit, but it still came out hella good like this was what i'm saying like it was what he needed to make the character yeah like, and it just you know it's just like well i guess that worked oh know? brucey uh in m night's uh early drafts of the script uh bruce willis's character was a crime scene photographer and not a child psychologist i don't know how that would have worked to cover up the reveal yeah yeah that'd be kind of weird i mean then the fact that he's around this kid all the time it wouldn't have made any sense yeah, that'd been it'd been even creepier. Taking pictures of him hiding. Like, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh shit, your mom's here. I, I know I take pictures of stuff. Let like, me crawl out the window. You. Oh my god. Uh, the film was a sleeper hit in Entertainment Weekly's 134 summer movie preview of 1999. The Sixth Sense was not even mentioned on the list of movies that they said you need to see that year. Oh well, wow. Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, you missed out. Yeah, they fucked that one up. The voice on the tape of Vincent's session is speaking Spanish. Uh, the person is saying, please, I don't want to die, Lord, save me, save me. Uh, that's actually a pretty creepy scene. And also another scene that hints that he's dead because as you're rolling the, you know, as he's rolling the dial up, it gets the the red starts showing on the uh, the tape player, which is funny because. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. The trivia in this says this too that actually tape players at the time had that function anyways. It just happened to be a, a nice coincidence with a movie because of the fact that he was, you know, where he was interacting with it, him being a spirit, the color red. But, you know, they used to have it on the tape players just to let you know that if you got up near the, the end volume on it, you might blow your eardrums out by listening at that volume, you know. <laughs> um, but that is a creepy scene where he's sitting there and he finds it's almost like the scene from the changeling where, you know, you have George C. Scott listening back to the, the tape recorder of the kid, you know, the, the ghost spirit. It's like, this is, it's the same moment where he realizes that, you know, that there's, you know, the EVP like kind of convinces him that there's something else going on. Yeah. Uh, David Vogel, then president of production of Walt Disney studios, uh, read M Knight's spec script and instantly loved it without obtaining corporate approval. Vogel bought the rights to the script, despite the high price of 3 million and the stipulation that, uh, M Knight could direct the film. How much, so, how much money did the movie make again? Uh, 650 million or something like that. Like, I mean, it was way up there. <laughs> so, the fact that he bought it for a price of $3 million, I mean, they couldn't go back and give him any shit over it, I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, 
The screenplay was sold on the first day it was put up for sale by producer Barry Mendel. So there you go. That it, it, it was so good that the very first day that M Night posted it, you know, or you know, amongst all the places, it was bought up. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious how much more they hadn't changed it, other than the the photographer idea and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much they messed with it because with him being given the stipulation that he would direct it, I think that put him more of a seat of power to control like how it went. Yeah, I mean, did, I, did not change it too much. Yeah, I'm sure producers still monkeyed with it a bit, but I mean, it wouldn't have been nearly as bad as if somebody else had like grabbed a hold of it. Uh, Cole and Vincent both have patches of gray white hair, both on the right side of their heads. Uh, Vincent's is to the side and Cole's is behind the ear. That's crazy. Kind of and the they both, they've seen spirits. Yeah, they both can know. see shit. So, but apparently it drove Vincent somewhat crazy. Well, he was treated as if he was crazy. He was treated as if he was crazy. Nobody believed him. And like, he never had, you know, he never, like they, they've said like some of the things I read, if you notice like Cole at the end of the movie stops dressing in red himself. And like, cause he, he starts realizing that there's something about that color that the supernaturals, you know, is attracted to. Mm -hmm. And so like he, it's almost like he's learned how to protect himself, you know, by Malcolm being his mentor, he's able to kind of like, you know, filter out the bad one, the really bad ones. Whereas Vince that was always treated, you know, pushed to the side and, you know, kind of treated like he was crazy. Yeah. So he never got that. So he was abused the entire time. Damn. Um, 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the number 89 greatest movie of all time. This was one of the newest entries on the list uh, from films uh, that which were released between 97 and 2005. So, I mean, it's it, it, they, it got you know up there quick. It was also included on their uh, 2001 list of the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. Uh, the movie's line, I See Dead People, was voted as their number uh, 44 quote. Uh, by uh, the American Film Institute out of a hundred, so and that that is, I mean, it's in pop culture, so I mean, yeah. it have a pretty big legacy. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, on the Vista series DVD, if the main menu is left idle long enough, a discordant note will play as a ghost walk past the breakfast table on the screen. I always love it when they do shit like that on, you know, like oh yeah, you know, like menus. They just if you leave it long enough, you see shit that you know won't normally play. Um, we've already said the color red is used to indicate the presence of something ominous, um, but it's also uh, M. Night's other movie, The Village, and many of his films since. Which oh, the dude, Village I is, hated The Village. God. I hated The Village. That was Damn. my start of my time not liking his films. Dude, that was so bad. <laughs> uh, M. Night pitched this film as a cross between The Exorcist and Ordinary People. What? Which is a strange pitch. Yeah. Okay. The Latin phrase that Cole speaks in the church when he first meets Malcolm, uh, De Profundus Calo Ade uh, Te Domine, translates, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. They are the first words of Psalms 130 in the book of Psalms. Uh, and it, that's kind of, I mean, if you think about the, you know, the fact that he's reading that, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, he's reading that, or he's saying that, you know, right as he sees Malcolm walk into the church. It's another play. It's like, no, this is my one place. Don't yeah. let him be here. Uh, when Cole's mother is, uh, or this, this filmed open on M. Night's birthday. So I guess that's a good birthday present for you. If you're, that's your first break breakout movie. And yeah. You, know, you really get into stuff. And he didn't even know it either at the time. <laughs> well, when Cole, the selling of the script probably told him. Yeah, that's that, true. That, hey, this is... This has some weight to it. They still got to make it, though. 
Yeah, but to him, he just selling the script goes a long way, yeah. too. Yeah. When Cole's mother is watching him at the window when he goes to school with Tommy, a prominent figure six can be seen on the curtain to the left of her hand. I, I don't recall seeing that, but I'll look yeah. for it the next time that I watch it. This film was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay for M. Night, Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joe Osment, and Best Supporting Actress for Tony Collette. It's the only film that year that the Academy Award nominated for both Supporting Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress, so the only film that was nominated that had both. And Tony Collette was the only Best Supporting Actress uh, nominee that year that was from a Best Picture-nominated film. As of 2021, it features Tony Collette and Haley Joe Osment's only Oscar-nominated performances. Wow. And it's one of the few horror movies that has actually been recognized by the Academy, so it's a pretty big deal. The Sixth Sense was released on VHS and DVD by Hollywood Pictures Home Video on March 28, 2000. It would go on to become the top-selling DVD of 2000 with more than 2.5 million units shipped, as well as the top video rental of all time, which that's going to be hard for them to ever... You can't... I mean, if it's the top one, you'll never be able to to you know overcome that because they don't rent movies anymore. So yeah. It's, it's kind of cemented as the king of that. But I'll be honest with you, this movie actually, because I think it was one of the first movies that really went into the whole making of stuff. You know, it was the first one to kind of load the DVD with like extras and all that. I want to say that this movie actually pushed the sale of DVDs. It's one of those, uh, this and like New Line stuff that did Austin Powers were amongst the ones I remember seeing that got me into collecting like, you know, movies, you know, in a physical form. Yeah, you're you're big on that. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Anna tells Malcolm that he sounds like Dr. Seuss. Like Malcolm, Dr. Seuss dedicated his life to children while never having any of his own, which is kind of a neat little tie-in. Uh, including Included among the, the 1,001 movies you must see before you die, edited uh, by Steven Schneider. Uh, it's included in that. Uh, the Sixth Sense was the second highest grossing film of 1999 behind Star Wars Episode One. I forgot that came out that year. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, taking about 293 million in the U.S. and 379 million in other markets. So for it to be second behind the the second coming of Star Wars, that's amazing. Yeah. Did Did you ever see any of that art that Doctor Seuss that Doctor Seuss did? That he kind of it was like um, the night art, I think, is what it was. More of like an adult style art yes. or something. He had a. He I'm had not a, seen it. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I w- always wanted to get some of it. It's wild. It's kind of like that Dr. Seuss-style art that he Midnight did. paintings is what yes. they're called. They're awesome, dude. You get a chance to check them out. Um, I want to look at them now. I mean, now that you say that, because it's, I mean, he was as pretty, I mean, as a kid, I mean, it, that Dr. Seuss was where it was at, I mean, you know, for, for a long time. Yeah, they're then, pretty cool. You know, of course, the woke crowd tried to cancel him over, you know, uh, whatever the, the going to a circus or whatever the name of that one book was. Cause they had some, you know, a China man. In there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's people are stupid. I don't give a shit. The funny thing is, is that he was like the, one of the most progressive people like in, and you know, up in, in his, for his time. Like if you listen to some of the stuff he said and did and like, you would think that he would be an icon and he was for years, but then that came out and they're all like, yeah, burn his stuff, burn, uh, in, anything from, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling, we don't we don't like either one of them now because of one thing they did or said or whatever. You know, well, their their stuff. He was like a huge advocate of, of psychedelics and stuff too. 
So like psychedelics, he was extremely against war. Like he was one of the most yeah. anti-war people that's ever been in history. I think. Yeah, he was pretty vehement about it. Um, this film established M. Night as a writer and director and introduced the cinema public to his traits, most notably his affinity for surprise endings, which I think is actually his undoing overall. I mean, you know, he's kind of came back in recent years, but those twist endings really got him. Yeah. Uh, when Malcolm is listening to the tape recording of Vincent in his session, as he turns up the volume of the tapes, the letters turn from white to red. And like I said, that's more of a feature of the time, but it happened to be a happy coincidence that worked for the movie's favor. You know, yeah. it's one of those things where it was a warning to, you know, this could damage your hearing. Location filming took uh, place mostly in the streets and buildings of Philadelphia, normally or notably at St. Augustine's Church on 4th and New Streets and on St. Albans Street in Southwest Center City. Uh, when Cole and his mother are sitting in the kitchen, there is a glass on the table that can only be bought in Philadelphia. It originally comes with a uh, pen made sour cream, which is not readily available anywhere else. And which is kind of surprising. Cause I mean, I, there's hardly any movies that are filmed in Philadelphia. I, they don't get the tax credits they need. And that's usually uh, one that they, they sub out for, you know, like Toronto or something, if they want to go that route. Well, logistically too, they make it, you gotta pay for all these different things. And it's just like at a certain point, you're like, why? Yeah, it's like, well, you need to pay us, like, this fee for this uh, permit and this permit, and then they're just like, fuck it, I'm not going to pay you anything. I'm going to take it, which now it's Georgia, but at the time it was probably still, like, uh, North Carolina and then, like, you know, Canada. That was the two places they always filmed everything. Uh, Only one movie, this is the only one uh, movie that Samantha Fitzpatrick did. She's the one that plays Kyra's younger sister, and uh, ironically, it's the, the audience never sees her face after she talks with Cole sitting in the swings outside of Kara, uh, Kyra's uh, family's house uh, as it focuses on them from the back. So, like, it's so one movie she's, re- she's ever did, and she's not even really in it at all. Like, <laughs> so it's kind of sad. Although Cole is supposed to be nine years old, Haley, Haley Joe Osment was actually 11. But I think, like I said, that worked to their benefit because he looked small. He still looked the part. Oh, and yeah. They, you know, and being older typically they can act a little bit better you know in the movies tiny in the film too yeah it's he's a sad kid in this movie like really it's just it's it's terrible when malcolm meets Anne at the restaurant you can clearly see that she that he isn't wearing a wedding ring that's the only time in the movie you can really see his hand but you can see it where he doesn't have it on wow so he dies and she just takes his ring dang and then death, my husband's gonna be. This be the one time my husband wears his wedding ring. I'm be like, yeah, bitch, can't take this shit off now. You're you're wearing it. Your corpse is wearing it in the grave, so now your uh, ghost is gonna be wearing it too. That's yeah, the rules. I don't make them up. And I you can't live. take it off. <laughs> uh, this is Katie Strickland's debut. Remember, she was the one in the Grudge or whatever. Um, and this is the movie that she started out in. So that's kind of crazy. Huh. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, played Dr. Hill, who examines uh, Cole Sear after the accident at the birthday party. So it's kind of a self-insert, but he's he does, I mean, there's several other directors that do this, but he cameos quite a bit in his movies after this. Uh, reportedly, he disliked his part in the movie so much that he cut most of it from the final print. So he filmed the scenes, they looked at him and said, I'm a shit actor, so I'm going <laughs> to most of this. <laughs> at least he admitted that. <laughs> I feel like, though, he left himself in, like, what is it, um, 
signs a little too much because he's kind of a flat actor, uh, really flat. And like his character in signs, which is like, I was a pretty pivotal point. If I remember, he's like the, the hateful next door neighbor or something, the Mel Gibson's character. Like he, he he's in it too long. Like I'm just like get out of the movie. I'm not you suck. Signs was uh, um, a pretty memorable movie. I, I see that a lot of people like it. Have you guys seen it? Sucked. I enjoy it. Okay. I mean, there is too much lead up for just a a fucking letdown. I, I agree with you. The one thing that I, I mean, there's the fan theory that they're not actually aliens, that it's actually like the apocalypse is happening, like the Armageddon, you know, like in the Bible, and that they're actually demons that come to the planet because of the water, you know, uh, and all that. And I actually like that fan theory better than the idea that they're aliens, that, as, you know, the movie actually throws out there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the members of M. Knight's family are doctors. That's the reason he just, he cameos as what? a doctor in this movie. It's a tribute. No. I can't be one, but I can pretend to be one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also stereotypical as hell. I mean, yeah. an Asian guy that's, you know, okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, this has a lot of his tra- trademarks that would later come into his movies. There's a car accident. That's one of his trademarks. Like, you know, there, that's what signs is based upon that fact. I mean, you know, Mel Gibson lost his wife in a car accident, but in this one, that's, you know, at the end of the movie, they're stuck in traffic because of car accident, uh, it's set in Philadelphia. I mean, he sets a lot of his movies in that, that setting, just like Stephen King sets a lot of his and his books in Maine. Uh, and then, of course, what the twist, you know, the <laughs> twist ending, you know, that comes along with it. Oh, my God. In uh, the scene where Cole says the famous line, I see dead people, the camera does a close up on Bruce Willis's face. Producer Frank Marshall was worried that might have given the game away. It implied that Malcolm was a dead person. Fortunately, none of the audiences in the test screenings or afterwards picked up on it. Just like you say, and uh, it's like it's it's a dead giveaway. It's like I see dead people. And he looks at Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, and you do, huh? Like, it's like, yeah, I do. Uh According to M. Night, the movie was inspired by an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? What? Uh, from, yeah, The Tale of the Dream Girl that came out in 1994, directed by David Winning, in which the leading characters are ignored by somebody and do not realize that they are dead until the final moment. Uh, in The Tale of the Dream Girl, a brother discovers that only his sister can see him, and she ultimately shows him his own obituary. So both of these movies were inspired by TV shows. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, throughout the film, uh, Malcolm's wardrobe consists of only slight variations of clothes he was wearing the night he died, which we already yeah. discussed. When uh, circling a passage in the notes, uh, in his notes, Bruce Willis does so with his right hand. Willis is actually left-handed. He learned how to write right-handed so that the viewers wouldn't notice that his wedding band was no longer his, on his hand. Um, he, but he draws the circle clockwise like a left-handed person would, while most right-handed people would draw counterclockwise. Yeah, that's hella funny. Uh, throughout the movie, Malcolm never moves any objects uh, except the Latin dictionary, uh, breaks the glass door of the jewelry store, and then uses the tape recorder. And he does not interact with anyone but Cole. For example, he never opens the door, the chair he sits in, the restaurant with his wife is already pulled out, and when he reaches for the check, his wife just beats him to it. Uh, and that's one of the brilliant things about this movie is it's you you swear that you're going to catch him not when you go back and rewatch it, and you, you can't because he doesn't, you know, at all. Uh, the soundtrack release of the movie gives away the ending. The final song on the CD is titled Malcolm is Dead. Like, <laughs> straight up, that's the name of the song. Like, <laughs> it's like, Spoiler what a twist. alert. <laughs> uh, 
they should have just named the last title spoiler alert and left it at that. Yeah. I think that was before that became like common and a you thing, know, yeah. When Cole and Malcolm are entering Kyra's room at her wake, that's the one I was telling you about where he's standing behind Cole. Uh, the camera cuts to the shadows on the floor as the door opens, but we only see Cole's shadow, another clue that Malcolm is actually dead. Also on the doorknob, we can see the reflection of Cole's face, but not Malcolm's, although we can probably see his body, uh, you know, in the background. Uh, M. Night deliberately used the color red to depict the wor world of the living and the uh, world of the dead would cross over. If red was in a scene where that was not the case, he would change it. Uh, the door to the church where Cole and Malcolm first interact is red. The statue Cole takes from the church has a red robe. The doorknob to Malcolm's basement is red. Uh, Cole's uh, school uniform is reddish maroon. He is often approached by dead people while at school or wearing his uniform. And then Anna wears a dress at the restaurant where Malcolm is late for a uh, red dress at the restaurant whenever he's late for their anniversary. And then Malcolm is watching his wife in the shower and notices her prescription cabinet in the in reddish brown. It is in a reddish brown container. Um, and and then Lynn Sears nail polish is red when she's pointing out the white spots or ghost on the pictures of Cole in the hallway, which is kind of a cool scene. She starts noticing all the little, you know, like orbs or whatever and all the pictures she's ever taken of him. Um Cole's free association writing is in red ink. Uh, the writing presumably records things he has heard from the dead. At the birthday party, all visible balloons are pastel colored except for the red balloons that float up the stairway and lead him to the small closet. Uh. Uh, he is uh, attacked. Uh, he's also wearing a red uh, sweater when he's attacked by the spirit in that closet. Uh, Cole's blanket at the hospital is a reddish pink whenever he confesses to Malcolm that he sees dead people. Uh. Uh, the birthday gift Anna gives to uh, Sean is a red box, uh, and when uh, and she is wearing red when the two of them embrace, and then Malcolm breaks the shop door, and then of course the tape. Um, Kyra Collins appears in his fort, which is red. Uh, the box containing Kyra's VHS is trimmed with red and a red lined interior. Uh, the outfit worn by Mrs. Collins at Kara's wake is bright red. Uh, she's the, I believe she's the one that poisoned the little girl. Yeah. And that's a horrible story. Oh my God, that was terrible. Uh, and the dad's realization was fucking, ugh. That guy was acting his ass off in that scene. Like, yeah. I mean, I will give, as, as a side character, he did his job and he did it well. Oh yeah. In the video, the soup Mrs. Collins brings to Kyra is tomato soup. <laughs> And the bottle of pine cleaner that she adds to the soup has a red cap on it. God, that's such a horrible thing when you're watching that scene. Yeah. The, the, the bicycle that Cole sees next to the car is wearing, uh, the bicyclist is wearing a red helmet. And then the blanket that Anna Crow covers herself with while watching the wedding video whenever, you know, Malcolm realizes he's dead is also red. So they, they're consistent with the color red and spirits throughout this movie. Um. Uh, whenever you actually watch the anniversary scene in the restaurant, there's a subtle but distinct ghostly whooshing sound as like he's as, just as he's intercepted by his wife grabbing the bill foreshadowing what will later be revealed. So yeah. they kind of give you another verbal hint. The mother is revealed to have poisoned and ultimately killed her otherwise healthy daughter is suffering from Munchausen by proxy uh, in which a parent or other caregiver fakes an illness of a child or other patient to uh, benefit from uh, the prestige of being a selfless and dedicated caregiver. Basically, they're seeking attention by, you know, uh, others feeling sorry for them. And there's a disease for it? They, like, they have a specific name? A mental disorder. 
It's a mental disorder. It's not a disease. It's a mental yeah. disorder. Uh, they they basically seek attention by harming others. Jesus what Christ. They do. Well, not that, but that person might be stealing the attention. <laughs> yeah, that's true. While this is a real mental condition, is arguably much uh, more represented as a plot contrivance in fiction than in real life. Um, it's been in a popular plot twist in a ton of shit like TV shows. Misery has it, you know, Stephen King's misery and it because, uh, Eddie, the little kid who, uh, has the asthma inhaler and it is not really asthmatic. His mom tells him he's asthmatic because she's like, my poor little lady is asthmatic. And then everybody feels sorry for her, you know, and no, that, but she's a mother hen gives her the ability to step into his life and micromanage it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty common out there. Um, and it's based upon a, a, a character. I, I can't remember if he's real or fictional called Baron Munchausen or something like that. Oh, dude, you ever see that movie? Yes, yes. The Adventures <laughs> of Baron Munchausen. That's a hell of a good movie. It is. And it's basically like he makes up everything. And that's kind of why it gets that name is because it's it, they make up these stories, you know, about these people to get sympathy, you know, like he did. Because that's how he get, he always like, buff, you know, build himself up like, well, I've, you know, traveled across mountains with, you know, and, and you know, and and flew across the sky or whatever. He would come up with all these like ridiculous stories to tell people. So that they thought he was like the greatest military person in history or something. So, I mean, that's kind of where it drives from. Um, in 12 Monkeys in 1995, Bruce Willis's character, James Cole, says, All I see are dead people, which echoes the words that Haley Jossman's character says in this. <laughs> and they both funny. have the name, and they have Cole in their names. Both have Cole, and they're both set in Philadelphia, so oh. there's a lot of links. The film was number 71 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments for the scene where Cole uh, encounters the female ghost in the tent. So there you go. Your scene made it in the 100 Woo! Scariest Moments. I'm <laughs> uh, number one. God. James Newton Howard's score occasionally sounds like snippets from the Requiem Mass by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, which was an orchestral and choir piece written for a funeral mass. Uh, quite appropriate since the movie is about death. So Amadeus, that's Amadeus, and it works. I mean, Amadeus. it really uh, it's it's a good score. Uh, the surnames of the main characters are subtle hints to their fates. Cole Sear, pronounced Seer, is oh. able to see things. And uh, Malcolm's last name Crow suggests crows, a bird often associated with death. Wow. Kind of cool. Uh, the movie hints that uh, Malcolm's about Malcolm's death early on. A psychologist would meet a patient, like we said, in their office and not wait outside their home and then follow him or show up at his home and wait out or, you know, and wait inside like he does throughout the movie. Uh, when they are in the church, uh, Cole asks Malcolm, I'll see you again, won't I? This is a clue that Malcolm is also a ghost. It's like, and that yeah. seems good, too, because it's like, you know, he's like, he's basically like praying, like, please say you're not coming back. <laughs> like, I don't want to see you anymore. And, uh, of course, you know, Malcolm's like, of course I am. I, you know, he has unfinished business that he has to take care of. Um, the leg- We have to discuss the legacy of this movie. It made M. Night. I mean, he wouldn't have a career without this movie. Uh, point blank, he wouldn't have one. Like, this this movie just blew up like no other. Like, first-time director, writer. I mean, he made it big. How do you all feel about his filmography? Because there's some of his movies that I love. Like, I love this. I love Unbreakable. I thought Signs was pretty good. He really fell off the wagon with uh, The Village. Uh, the that new one that he came out with... Uh, the, about the grandparents or the the visit or whatever it's called. That one's pretty decent. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, with. that I, I, the visit was good. That was pretty creepy. But the beach sucked. I hated the beach. 
old, yeah, the new one. I've not even watched that one yet. That looks like uh, him falling back to his old shitty ways. To oh, me. it That's was it was bad. It. That was such a stretch, dude. Uh, some people like that movie he did called Devil, but he didn't really. I don't think he wrote. Oh, that, that. was I his. He, like, I, I think he produced it. Okay, it's not coming like up it. in his. Uh, it's not coming up in his uh, films, but I did like Devil. Yeah, Devil. Was oh, wait, it is. Good. I'm su- I'm such a liar. Yes, the Devil was in there. I think I had wanted to review that during the devil season, and, and I don't know that we did. That's the one where they're they're away from us. they're they're in the elevator, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked that one a lot. Um, I have not seen any of his other films, so. Um, of course, he did that shitty. Um, what is it? Avatar: The Last Bender? Uh, live Arrow. action. He, he was involved in that. Yeah. I don't know. He's really hit or miss. Like, I mean, I split was amazing though. Split was a great damn movie. Like, but I mean, McAvoy was the one that really sold that movie. I mean, that guy fucking acted his ass off in that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, did you all watch split? Nope. That was a one. It, it was a prequel to the one where they're, they all finally meet up. Right. Yeah. Glass is the last one in the series. But yeah. Split, I, is, split wasn't is a too bad. Horror movie. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen I it. I think it, I'm trying to think of who the actress is in that. Um, she's like Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, there you go. Like one of the, I mean, for her generation, she's like a standout. Like mm-hmm. so, I mean, it had had her. It had McAvoy acting. I mean, the fact that he had all those personalities and he made them all so distinct and was able to like keep in the right frame of mind for each one of them. I don't know how. He, I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, so Haley Joe Osment, like, I feel like this is like, he peaked sadly with this and he's kind of, I mean, we already said he's Sora, so he's got like, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's set for life on what he's done with that as far as a voice, but like, I can't really think, I mean, I liked secondhand lines, but I don't feel like he was as, you know, like none of his other movies to me around this time stood out as much as this one. I can't believe, I'm sorry, I'm going back to Haley. I cannot believe he's Sora because my husband was just telling me yesterday that the characters have grown as each game comes out. Mm-hmm. So it's possible he still might be Sora. I think he is still listed like as, as of like Kingdom Hearts 3 or something. But can like you imagine, those more, games more are fairly ones. fucking old from the beginning of them. And he was, which means he was young when he started he voice was, acting. He was doing the voices for stuff when he was a kid. Like, I think he got his start doing, like, voices for, like, commercials and stuff like that. So he was already doing that sort of stuff prior to this. Oh, my God. that that's in, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> but, I, honestly, I, the, the guy peaked when he was a kid. And I, I mean, not that, I mean, he, he's had a little bit of a comeback recently in some stuff. But, I mean. It's kind of fat and old. Wow. Yeah, he's, it's true. It really is. I, you know, um, Bruce Willis. Hey, their I job mean, is like, to be on a t- on the screen. So we're, we get, we got the ability to criticize. Well, him. he's not on the screen anymore. He's behind the screens. <laughs> no, well, he's, he's, he's smart still by moving into voice acting. Honestly, no, but yeah. his, he's, his he's still doing movies. Like I said, he just did a horror movie recently. And he got killed. I think he was in an episode of boys too. Uh, he was in an episode of boys. That's right. He was in one of those, um, he was in uh, one very recently. Uh, uh, what about Bruce Willis? Like, I mean, as far as like, do you feel like this? I mean, I wouldn't say this was his peak. Obviously, you know, Die Hard. I mean, a lot of people are going to always throw that out there. But I mean, like, 
What's your fest? What's your favorite Die Hard movie? I th- I want to say it's the first one still. Like, oh, I, what? It's that's a second yeah, one. Like, second one's one hella think? good. Oh man, like I just feel like there's a lot of retread in that movie versus the first one. Like I'll give you, you that. Got him. You've got him, and then, like, uh, the only role that Reginald Vell Johnson was ever known for <laughs> was, I mean, <laughs> outside of playing Carl Winslow. I mean, <laughs> which is basically, you, you could say that Carl Winslow was the same character. He just, he tra- he transferred after all the stuff at Nakatomi Plaza and went to Chicago, wherever it was, and decided to live the rest of his life and you know, in that town, because it's the same damn character. That's You ain't going to convince me otherwise. <laughs> um, But... Yeah, I mean, like I, I love part three for the fact that it's got Sam Elliott in the, you know, the Sam, you know, and then Sam Elliott or L, you know, Jackson working, you know, and like opposite, and you know, Bruce Willis and that one. I love their interactions, but it's it's still a kind of a shit movie overall plot wise. Uh, and then Jeremy Irons is no, you know, Professor Snape when it comes to bad guys either. So there's that whole thing. I don't um, like any of them. I have not seen any of them. Die Hard. God. Oh my god! <laughs> Diard's technically a Christmas movie. Oh my god! That's I hear that it, shit all the time. It technically is. It technically is. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, as far as like you know, Bruce Willis goes. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, like we already said about Hudson Hawk. I mean, even though it's not like you know anything that he that anybody would stand out about him. I'm trying to think of movies he's done in the last few years, but like. I feel like everything I've ever seen him in in the last little bit prior to his, you know, him revealing that he has the that condition, he was checked out in everything. Uh, like Looper was like one of the last things I remember him in, and he actually gave Red, shit. Red's pretty good. I, I like Red. Red. Yeah, Red is good. I'll take that. I, I do like Red. Yeah, he's he's good in that one. I forget. Yeah, he but he, that there's also a lot honest. of good actors in there. You got John Malkovich and uh um, Kate, Kate Blanchett and a bunch of other people, which it's and like an all-star Dame crew. Judy Dench, I think, plays like the, the, the hot old woman or whatever in that movie. Oh, and I thought that was Kate Blanch, Kate Blanchett. Uh, Maybe you're right. Yeah, I, I don't think Kate, or at least not in the, the first one. Maybe they worked her into the second one. I do remember that the lady they had that was like Bruce Willis's wife was like way too young to be, a, so, and they even like kind of made it a point in the movie to kind of show that, I think, that like their age was like too drastically different. Like you the know, whole but, nine yards. That's another good movie. Oh, I love the whole was, nine yards. Yeah. That was one of the few times Matthew Perry was sober. So there's that. To <laughs> <talk> about. <laughs> um, Bruce Willis has a movie coming out and I don't know that you had mentioned anything about this. It's coming out this year. Or it might be out already. It's called a day to die. I think it's out already. Yeah, Hulu. But remember, that's one of those movies he did just to be able to get, uh, you know, like more money for his kids because he he literally every movie that he's done. They they talked about this on Red Letter Media without knowing that he was like sick. And then when they did, they, you know, they kind of walked it back a little bit and said, well, that's bad for him. But like literally every movie he's filmed is a movie where he's got like an earpiece. His character has an earpiece in and they were literally delivering his lines to him because he can't remember them anymore. Wow. It's sad, but that that, sad, that's how yeah. it is. He's got a few 2022 um, movies out or whatever might just be out for, you know. Haley Joe Osment is in pre-production doing Kingdom Hearts 4, so he's still doing the voice of Sora. But get this, he's also got another film that he's doing live action called Pussy Island. All righty. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
Oh, that uh, Donnie G's got something to cover in the near future. Oh it looks my like God. <laughs> yeah, I I know the the new Kingdom Hearts look pretty badass. I was looking at it. I was watching the trailer for it. It's they're all grown up and everything, and the whole world's and it. They kind of like ripped into the universe of uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it it, um, it looked pretty awesome. Well, they started getting badass around. God, I'm trying to think. 2000. Kingdom Hearts was badass. No, it always gates. was, but like enhancing in terms of the visual look and everything. I want to say like 2008, 2009. Well, you got to remember when you stepped up from uh, from PlayStation to PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3, the bol- the polygon rate went up like it was like a hundred time increase almost. I think from oh, yeah, PS2 to PS3. I know just from PS1 to PS2, the polygon, the polygon rate went astronomical and to give you all your smooth textures. Uh, um, they have Melody of Memory um, game, which is kind of, I don't know, it reminds me almost like a Beat Saber game or I don't know, it's weird. You have to you solve mysteries to the tune of certain songs, classical songs. I know that Nona has that one. That's weird. It's weird, but it's kind of cool looking like it's you'd have to see it. it wouldn't, it's not the typical, you know, uh, Kingdom Hearts games out there, but it's got all the same background and everything. Uh, how many games are there of Kingdom Hearts? Three? Uh, four or five. Four or five of them? Mm-hmm. Well, you, if you bring in, like, the DS games, I mean, there's there, there's at least five, if not six. I mean, because they had, like, a bunch of, like, little branch stories they did, like Kingdom Hearts 1.5, Kingdom Hearts 2.5. Oh, I yeah. I mean, they had, you know. I feel like those were just updated versions of the actual games, though. Well, I think they had different, like, mechanisms how you played. Like, one of them was a card-based system. You know, it was like, you know, you had to, like, you didn't actually attack, but you had to play the cards, kind of like Magic the Gathering, to actually do the attacks, and you collected them as you went. So, like, they worked in stuff like that. They do have weird. They have, like, 2.8. So, Kingdom Hearts 4 is what's due to come out. It's to be announced, but they had... In order, uh, in 2002, Kingdom Hearts, 2004, Chain of Memories, 2005, Kingdom Hearts 2, 2007, the Chain of Memories, uh, Coded, uh, 2009, what, th- 358 by two days? Yeah, what that's like one of their uh, side projects they did that was a, you know, a, a DS game or something like yeah. that for the handheld. 2010 was Birth by Sleep, 2012, Dream Drop, Distance, 2013, 1.5 Remix. 2014, 2.5 Remix, 2015, Unchained Union X, 2017, 2.8 Final Chapter, (laughs) but it wasn't, Um, 2019, Kingdom Hearts 3, 2020, Dark Road, Malady of Memory, which is the one uh, Nona has, and then the upcoming one is just says Missing Link, Kingdom Hearts 4, but... You got, yeah. me wanting to be play, you got me wanting to play these games again. I want. I just want to boot up and start all over again. I told my son, hey, I was like, hey, I think I know that you might like this game. He's like, ah, I'll try it, you know. So I gave him, you can rent for free the, like, um, you know, like a general first chapter or something of the game. And he liked it so much. He's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And I was like, okay. So we got his Nintendo bucks. We bought it. And uh, he's been addicted to it. He's trying to finish part two. So it it's it it resonates very well. Like it, it it's aged well. The kids still like it, you know. 
my biggest issue, because I tried replaying it whenever 1.5, 2.5 and all that came out, uh, which I still have, but like I, I got in there and I started playing it again and like some of the worlds I don't like. So whenever I'm in those, I have to play through them. I don't like the game as much. Like, you know, it's one of those things that definitely it's the properties that you love that, you know, yeah, uh, Disney wise, because the, the one that I remember playing, I think it was in part two, maybe that I love the most was of course nightmare before Christmas. Oh and yeah. I was like, hell yes. Let me play this. I love this. It looks you know? pretty decent too. I think they've definitely <laughs> done well with the quotation mark remix, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. The graphics look really good. Mm, decent enough. I should say. For now's times. And yeah, there are certain worlds that my son also does not like. He's like, oh, I don't want to have to go there, but I have to to complete this mission. I, I hate the Alice in Wonderland world. That's the one that got stuck on the last time I played it. And <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that, I don't even, I don't like the cartoon. Like the, that, you know, you talk about an ultra level Karen. I mean, the Red Queen or, or the, whatever, she's like the ultimate, you know. Like, I didn't even know they awful. had a cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, that the old Disney one, you know, that she's like off with her heads, you know, and like she's this big old like horrendously obese oh, woman. Oh, okay, whatever. you're talking about the actual Alice in Wonderland. I thought you talked about, talk about yeah. Kingdom of Hearts. No, I'm talking no, about the cartoon did. movie that they did. You know, um, what about Tony Collette talking about going back to the movie? Like, as far as like her like films, uh, like after this, I feel like this cemented her as like a scream queen. Like she repeatedly does more and more like horror based stuff now. She does, but she kind of plays the same character every time. She and it's the the crazy part is is that I I you, I haven't gotten tired of it yet. She does a good job. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we started rattling off all the like, she's mom in that. She's not, well, but D Wallace, you know, like we talked about in the last episode with uh, you know, the Frighteners. I mean, that's what D Wallace was known for in the eighties was just playing moms, and then like you know, then she did the psycho move that, you know, like at some point, which the Frighteners might've been the one that got it really out there. And then Rob Zombie was like, okay, you're going to be playing some psycho bitch in all my movies. And then like, from then on, that's what she did. Did you guys ever cover the movie house at all? Uh, we have not covered house. Um, yes, and that, and I don't that's even, a, that's, is that technically a ghost? Yeah. That movie's weird because that is, that is a ghost in a way it's, you could argue it's also, uh, an evil spirit from vietnam but that's a whole other thing (laughs) i thought house was like an evil spirit it is the house is like possessed by a bunch of evil spirits is it a is it ghosts or is it demons i don't think it's demons is it going it doesn't it doesn't come out and say it's one of those weird ones and then like part two is even weirder because like they have undead like the undead grandpa who's like you know basically a zombie and then you have a caterpillar dog in the second when it's a really weird movie um it's it's weird series like the first one though is like they're they're, they are kind of ghosts but then they're they've got more form and function they're almost like spirit or demons or something to them i don't know it's house belongs the the first movie at minimum belongs in this season Possibly. Possibly, but we have so many movies. Yeah, we've got so many movies to cover then <laughs> such a short amount of time is the problem. That's a good one though. Um but yeah, Tony Collette, I, I feel like she's gotten like better roles since this as far as like to play off of, but like I, I feel like she's taking more and more roles in these type movies now though. Yeah, as an actress I like her. She has a way <laughs> of conveying really well uh fear. Uh, that mom nurture, uh, concern, ha- everything. She, I, I just, as an actress, I like her. 
I, I really like what they did with her in Krampus. I mean, yeah. were, like she like stood up for herself toward like the beginning of the movie. She's kind of mousy, just kind of like, you know, letting the family run all over. And then toward the end of the movie, she's like, you know, blasting these little creatures left and right. With she does it in a very like, mom you know. way, though, not in like a craze. All of a sudden she's got this super power. She still is. She still has the power of a woman, which is not a ton. She's just a very angry mom. You know? Yeah. She turns she's into got, mama bear. Mama bear strength. Yeah. Yes. So I think they did that really well. Um, just to round it out, the legacy of this movie, besides all the ones we mentioned for the different actors and all that, the, what do you think about the movies that, that followed in this movie's wake? Like, I feel like horror was kind of dying at this point a little bit. You had to resurge. I mean, you still had some of the stuff going on with the the slashers, the, the, the neo slashers, you know, that Scream created. And they all started getting ridiculously stupid at a certain point. I mean, when you have, you know, I know what you did last summer. That was kind of, you know, like the carbon copy, just like multiplicity. You know, the more carbon copies you make of a copy, they get dumber and dumber as they go along. Yeah. Um, I feel like this movie did the same thing for supernatural films. Like, Ghost came back in a big way, even including, like, bringing the Japanese ghost over. But at the same time, like, that's, it, 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 like, blew up so much and so heavy that, like, it killed those movies after a bit. Like, I feel like we had a gap there of almost, like, 10 years before they started coming back out again with, like, Insidious and all that. Yeah, I think that with the plot alone, the plot twist alone in this film... No one was ever going to be able to touch that. And I think there's still people that have not fully recovered from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one horror movie I said that I would see. And then they, they made the guy dead and blew my mind. I'm not yeah. going to see this shit anymore. Fuck this shit, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, legacy-wise, this film has its own. It's almost like it has its own genre, and its genre is plot twist. It does, and I mean, that's one of the reasons we had to cover this. We squeezed it as an extra episode. We was going to make it a, just a special, but then we added the others in and made it a full episode. But you can't discuss Ghost Season without this movie, or you're basically, you know, well, I mean, what are you doing at that point? I mean, this is the modern Ghost movie that everybody knows. Like, it really is. Oh, it I is, mean, yeah. Blank. See, in the same, um, in the thing about, like, Sixth Sense, it never really comes off scary, but it's you're always wanting to find out what's next. Yeah. It's weird. It's, oh, I never, I never really felt scared, but I was always interested. The movie never felt like I, I wasn't interested in it. I feel like I was scared, but I feel like I was scared in a sense where I was in one of those haunted houses at, you know, um, a theme park where it's like, okay, I'm scared, exactly, but I want to, exactly right. yeah, I want to see scared. what's going to happen. And I, at the end of this, I want to gather my thoughts and be like, wow, well, how was that? You know, how do I feel about that? It it's not scary in the sense like you take a movie like The Changeling. That movie built all of its fear up through the atmosphere and all that, and it's more of like a ongoing thing throughout the movie. This movie has it in short bursts. You know, it's like the the cat jumping out at you jump scares. That's the scares in the movie, but the movie itself is like you know compelling. Just the stuff that's going on. Just like Noah said, you want to find out like why you know Malcolm's wanting to find out more about the kid. You want to find out more about the kid, and then whenever you watch it after the reveal, you want to see like where you know the the all the little things that, you know, are going on that you didn't catch the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what gives the movie a lot of rewatch value. 
Uh, a lot considering the twist. I mean, that twist should have killed the movie for rewatches. <laughs> it, it, by all means, it should have been like, okay, that's a one and done. I know the movie. It's going to be shit after that. And then I, I was just surprised going back and rewatching it. I was like, this is a, still a damn good movie. It's a, it's actually better in ways when you know the reveal. Um, and it's and it's just crazy because I mean, like you, you watch some of it. Like if you watch the the village. I guess oh, the fucking, dude, that is not rewatchable. I, I guess the twist in that, like, you know, uh, like 20 minutes into the movie. And it, and, and granted, it's probably because I read just a smidge too much on the internet. Like, I was reading a post, I remember, on some website, and they said there was a twist, which everybody knew at that point, M. Not Dead. And it said something about, and it didn't reveal the nature of it, but it said something about the village itself was the twist. And that, by saying that, that got the, the, you know, the hamster, you know, running on the wheel or whatever you want to say. And when I was sitting there during the movie and I was watching it with my wife and I was like, I look at her and I'm like, about 20 minutes in, I was like, they're in modern times. I know what the, I, I know what's going on with this movie. I know what the twist is. And then whenever it happened, I was like, God damn it. I, I, I this is the worst. Cause it, it like, it wasn't like the sixth sense. You didn't get that moment where you're just like, oh shit. Like, you know, it was just like, that's the reveal. Like, seriously that's it like and and it's i don't know it's just like you know and you you get to reveal in that movie and it like the movie's not good i don't think otherwise you know there's nothing to really hold you to it well even even leading up to the, before you find out what's going on the village is kind of like it's hard to watch kind of you're like yeah because that there's this big build up on the monsters but nothing really ever happens with the monsters like during yeah, the movie there's no uh, I watched a movie last night at the recommendation of a, a recommendation of a coworker. That's like a, a very pretty recent film or whatever. Uh, it's I mean like last decade or something called the Apostle or called Apostle, just straight up Apostle. Have you all seen that movie? It sounds familiar. Um, Why does that sound so familiar? It it's got uh, the guy in it was in Legion, but I don't know if you would or that was on FX, but I don't know if you'd know him from anything else. But basically, it's like it's a period piece. It's like set in, uh, and I don't know. I feel like it's it's like nineteen hundreds, like or, or early, you know, in that time period. And they're on the island, and it, it gives you village vibes, like heavy. But the thing is, the twist in that movie is is a lot a lot better because it you know the twist. There's there's actual supernatural stuff going on, on the island. There's like who's, they, who's the main I mean, character. Jeez. This sounds familiar. I think I've seen it. Dan Stevens is in it. Michael Sheen. Dan Stevens, he's the one. Yeah, that was in Legion. I mean, I don't know of what he's been in much outside of Legion. To, uh, that's what I recognized him from. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of actors uh, or actresses that I uh, recognize. But it's a 2018 film. It looks pretty good. I think it's, seen it's actually not bad. The, fir the first half of it is super slow when I was watching or, you know, looking at my phone quite a bit. When it got to the actual reveal of what's going on, I was in it for the rest of the movie because, I mean, it's got like, uh, I mean, the, the torture scenes in it because it's kind of got like the, the, I mean, it's got a throwback to like the Salem witch trial days where they're like, you know, claiming these people are non-believers and like, you know. Well, yeah, there's basically a religious cult involved. Well, it's on an island, yeah. you said? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, I think I've seen this in. The lead character, he's a guy. It, 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 don't they like put him in like a wicker house or something like that? I'm trying to. There, there is a house in the movie that contain that's like got a bunch of vines and stuff in. Yes, it. Yes, 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 yes. Twist. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I've seen this. Um, 
and there's a guy in the movie that's watching over the house that has like a wicker style basket over his face and he's like covered in blood all the time and that's because they're sacrificing people and feeding them to something and and but I, I say all that to say that I watched the movie and it's a better version of the village like it takes okay. that concept of like this religious cult that's you know but like it's so much better in, in the way that it's you know laid out there which I guess you could say the the wicker man's kind of the that template but you know the old style template to begin with but i mean i'm just saying if you if you go along those threads the village is a poor version of those type of movies um and the twist doesn't help it at all yeah um you all got anything else you want to say about it? you want to move on to the ratings or i believe i'm ready for ratings all righty um i'm going to start out with the others because I, I you all have been a while since you've seen it uh, this one to me is a 3.8. I used to rank it like a 4.5, but it's one of those movies where the twist does kill it because when you go back and rewatch it, it's a, there's nothing to look for. It's not one of those movies yeah. that like really plays with you like that. It's like, once you know it, it's like you can appreciate it for what it is and the few, and the little bits, the, uh, the stuff that we talked about, but it's not like it's, I mean, I don't know. It, it, there's just not a lot of re I mean, when you go back to watch it, that really stands out. It's like, Oh shit, this is like mind blowing or anything like that. Um, what are your all thoughts on it? I mean, just like, you know, what little you, you, you can remember and all that, like your just general rankings in your head. Well, full disclosure, La Urena only watched clips of the movie. Literally, <laughs> I went on to YouTube and I was what like, What the cause, hell? Because I think I've seen this, because I thought I had seen this movie before. <laughs> and he wanted to review it regardless. I was like, oh, well, Noah can review it with you, but let me see if I've seen this movie before. Because I swear I had seen it before. Uh, I have not. Spoiler alert, seen this movie. Um, so watching the 11 clips that I watched that outlined this movie uh, <laughs> is where I got all my information based off of from. So if you've gone this whole podcast listening to me and thinking that I watched the film, it's good to know that I'm really good at faking it. Um, What's the twist? Yes, yeah, that's the twist of this podcast. So you're really good that's at faking cool. it? I'm glad you is that right? That, that... Is this not the only thing you fake? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I don't think I'm that great, babe. So <laughs> going going back, though, uh, so from watching what I watched, that's where I came up with the information of the scenery, the sounds, the, um, the clips and everything. And it genuinely does look like a decent film. Uh, however, knowing, going, I saw mostly probably towards from the middle to the end. I don't think I saw it from beginning to the end based on the clips. I'm not sure. Again, haven't seen the film. Uh, I'm going to say that if I were to see this movie from beginning to end, knowing what I know about the end, I probably, it would be a one and done for me, for sure. Not in the sense that it's a bad film. It's something I think you should watch. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Wow. Fair. Fair. All right. What, what do you say? No. What Let's say you? I, you knew I didn't watch it. We talked about it this morning. <laughs> Why is this a surprise to you? I sat up and watched it last night. I thought you watched Sixth Sense last night. I did. Oh, you watched I, both. I rewatched. Uh, no, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the other one. I rewatched Sixth Sense. Okay, I need to re. The difference is I watched Sixth Sense when I, today last night when I was hella high, so it was actually pretty good. <laughs> Oh, it was only because it was because he was high. Uh, I need to reiterate that when he watches a movie and I dream about it, I have practically watched it. So I have indeed the watched up. the others. What the hell? That's not how that works. <laughs> it's how it works in my world. 
Oh my god. You, you know what my big thing about the movie? Like every movie I, I want, even if it's a horror B movie, is character development. And this this was like nonstop character development, which it to me it, it sells you on the story when you have character development into a movie. The others? No, the sixth sense. We're talking about the others right oh. now. Even that's character development too. Okay. That's that's major. Just want to make sure you're talking about the right one. Yeah, but the, <laughs> even that's even that's major character development with Nicole Kidman. The character development between the groundskeepers and her kids and yeah. everything like that. Mm-hmm. And you you need that character development to sell the story. If you don't have character development, it becomes a fleeting movie. Yeah, you'll watch it one time and then you'll move on. But if there's good character development, you'll watch again for the characters a lot of times. Yeah, like decent development. I, I think the others is good. I, I'd give it like a three eight. Yeah, so that's that's good. That's a good score. Um, what about Six Sense? Since you started talking about it, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, uh, that gets like a four and a half it. for me. That because that has okay. so much development from 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 every major key player in it has major development, and it's critical to get you to buy into the story. It's for what sure. it, it's what makes it watchable multiple times. If the characters were crappy and, and and Haley Joel Osment didn't sell his role as a kid and Bruce Willis didn't sell the role as a concerned guy really trying to help out a kid because he had a failure with the previous one, you you it wouldn't have the same rewatch to it. I think you wouldn't would be able to rewatch short. it at all. You'd be like, okay, that I got the twist and that's it. I'm not going to back and yeah. You, and, you, you imagine trying to rewatch it with crappy characters. It's not like you're watching a zombie movie where you know that it doesn't matter with the characters. You're just look watching the gore. You're watching the gore in those movies, and that's yeah. the reason. Uh, let everybody know we're going to review slasher season completely different in this season. We have to because slashers by nature are pretty shitty in their story. Yeah, and their character development. Uh, you go into them for the kills, folks, and you go into them for the mask and all the other things. So we're going to be ranking it based on stuff like that. And the story is irrelevant because it's the same yeah. thing. Slasher. Kill scenes, excitement, titties, you know, you, you know. You know what you should do? You should uh, review. It's not really a slasher, but it's kind of an anti-slasher is a hobo with a shotgun. It's kind of like the reverse slasher. We could throw that in there. I, I would have to go back and rewatch it, but I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I've got like, there's so many slashers though, man, that I can cover. I mean, it's <laughs> that that genre is just like we could do like three seasons of it, you know, and probably still not cover all of it. Yeah, it's, for some reason, I like the anti-slasher scenario where you have a vigilante that's just going ballistic and like being being over the top as a slasher would be. I. VFWs one similar to what you're talking about. It's got a very same vibe where those guys who are like the old military vets are like hold up and they're like getting attacked by all these like methed out freaks that are you know and they're they're having to like kill them in like you know various different ways. It's it's got the same vibe you're talking about. Um, but yeah. Um, what about Urena? What what's your thoughts on uh the Sixth Sense? Well, being I've seen, <laughs> it's one of the few films I've seen multiple times. And I've enjoyed every time and have not gotten tired of. Uh, and that's just that's just a rarity for me. That just doesn't happen very often at all. Um, so that alone, it's a solid five for me. Not to mention I am one of the people that have not recovered from the twist ever. <laughs> I never got over the initial shock I had when I found it. Like I felt like I had been taken advantage of. And <laughs> I felt cold. Him not hurt you. Yes, I felt cold. Uh, I felt like uh, people were watching me. It would they were dead people, and yeah. 
So would you rate it? A solid. It's a five for me. Yeah. I mean, this is getting to be kind of old because we've just been reviewing movies that I love in the last few episodes, but this is a five. I mean, I can't. Like, I watched it, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to watch like this as much the second time watching it, and I did. I, I, like <laughs> I said, I liked it more than the first time. I I mean, I was sitting there, and I was just like, it, it's just it, it's just so good to see in that scene where he's, like, telling Malcolm straight to his face. He's like, you know, he's like, I see dead people. They don't realize they're dead. And, like, you're sitting there like, oh, shit. Like, you know, and it's just like, you know, it's the reverse. It's like the reverse twist. It's yeah. like, you know, he, you know, I just, I, I love it. And it's like just the, the cinematically, the story is done so well. But, I mean, I, you got to give credit to him now. There's a reason this thing got bought in, like, a day. That that script is amazing. It, it's one of the, you know, better ones that, that's came out in years. So It is, um, yeah. I mean, can't rate, can't rate it under that for myself. Like, I'll just love the movie. Well, the only reason um, I market for it is for a horror movie, it doesn't really pack the horror. Like, I, I get that. You have zero uh, although, kill counts. The, the one thing I'll say about ghost movies and the reason I love it as a genre, and I don't know if I've mentioned this, I probably have in the meantime we've talked about this, is I love it as a genre because it doesn't have to be horror. Like, ghost films, like, run the gamut. Like, you, I mean, you have literal Christmas stories with ghosts in them. I mean, like, <laughs> ghosts are, like, stand-ins for other dramas that, you know, because you're you put all this stuff in there, you know, like, I mean, it, it's one of those few horror uh, things that's firmly in the horror field that can move into other you know things and you're like okay that works is like just a a drama type film or a comedy or whatever because it's just like it's dealing with life and death and like human nature and like you know you don't get that with slasher films at all because i mean slashers are you know like they're all about the gore and the killing and all that stuff so they're always going to be in the horror genre you can lump on some other stuff to them but ghost stories can be other things like i mean they're straight up romance stories they're just they're ghost stories, but the romances, there's no horror to them whatsoever, you know? Ghost. So. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> I want to see the Japanese version of that. Oh, God. I'm so curious. I, I didn't realize they did a Japanese version of that movie. That's so weird that they did. But anyways, uh, got any plugs you want to throw out there for Blue Collar BS? Uh, it's Friday nights at 8. <laughs> That's it, folks. That's it. That's what you're getting. Nothing yeah. Go check it out if you like to hear uh, two chimps talk about bullshit about everything that's happening in this fucking world as of late. So, And like Urena always says, please follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, you know, it, and those likes and, you know, subscribes or whatever to kind of get it, you know, get the word out there about the show if you like it, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and as of late, we have been consistently posting an episode now this is a two-part episode but it feels like it's one part each because one will be posted on monday and one will be posted on friday so you get death holler two times a week as of right now and i'd like to keep that up if we're able to for as long as possible it may change but as long as we can keep that up then uh i think it'll work out really well holler yeah holler (laughs) (laughs) uh and with that peace be with you and with your spirit but the twist. <laughs> this fucking, oh, fuck. I got to get that. <laughs> That's okay. I'll be able to cut it in.